from the studios of Postscript Media and Canary Media. The hits to Joe Biden's climate ambitions keep on coming. Two years ago, Biden put forward a $2 trillion climate plan. After Democrats failed to move a bill forward last year, that package became $300 billion, still big, but not nearly the scale imagined. This spring was supposed to be the moment that package passed, and then spring turned into summer, and now as lawmakers prepare to clear out for August, it looks like any size climate bill is unlikely. Thanks to a Democrat you probably heard a lot about, Senator Joe Manchin. The last great hope for actual legislation. That would have a real impact on climate change. That plan just got tossed out by the Democratic senator from West Virginia. The same senator who, according to The New York Times, quote, took more campaign cash from the oil and gas industry than any other senator. Senator Manchin is the guy in the Senate who holds the make or break vote for any spending bill. At the start of last week, the legislative calendar, it looked like it was on track. Negotiations with Manchin had been ongoing for months among top Democrats in the Senate. And most people, including Catherine Hamilton, who runs a D.C. public policy firm called 38 North Solutions, thought a deal was imminent. Every week, the Democrats have a caucus lunch on Tuesdays. And my thought had been, this is the Tuesday, given the timing of before August recess, this is the Tuesday when a deal would would probably need to be announced. But as the week wore on, nothing. And then Thursday, a piece of unexpected news. I think I got a text because I was not really paying attention on Thursday evening. I was hanging out with my family from my business partner who said, you know, Senator Schumer released a statement that Senator Manchin had said that because of the numbers on inflation that he couldn't consider additional spending for climate at this point. After months of back and forth, Joe Manchin told Democratic leaders that he will not support the major climate provisions that are a key part of President Joe Biden's agenda. And then, you know, so that was sort of the piece that made everybody freak out, understandably. I believe my text back to my business partner when he told me was, oof. The outrage from Manchin's own party, as you can imagine, has been overwhelming. Massachusetts Democratic Senator Ed Markey, a champion of the Green New Deal, tweeted out, Rage keeps me from tears. And John Podesta, former counselor to President Barack Obama and former chief of staff to President Bill Clinton, wrote, It seems odd that Manchin would choose as his legacy to be the one man who single-handedly doomed humanity. By Friday morning, there was a radio show that had interviewed Senator Manchin who said, well, Climate is still really important. I still really want to get it done. The issue is I need to figure out what's going on with inflation and I need to to see the July numbers before I can make that decision. Inflation is absolutely killing many, many people. And can't we wait to make sure that we do nothing to add to that? And I can't make that decision on basically on taxes of any type and also on the energy and climate because it takes the taxes to pay for the investment in the clean technology that I'm in favor of. But I'm not going to do something and overreach that causes more problems. I was shocked. I did not understand. I I kept texting people, texting staffers and senators and saying, what's going on? I don't understand. What's the motivation here? Because it just kind of didn't seem enough that it was all inflation. I just kind of couldn't buy it. The potential for the change that this bill could create was so massive, and the thought of it not happening and seeming to be in a much more definitively not happening 
place was was really, really heartbreaking. Sam Ricketts also watched the drama unfold from D.C. I have kept the better part of 2022 in a uh, hopeful, I don't want to say optimistic, but hopeful mindset we would be able to get to something. And it's certainly... Um, the, the recent weeks, both public reporting and sort of conversations with allies and friends on Capitol Hill, uh, led me to believe we were getting there. Sam is a senior fellow at the Center for American Progress. He was Democratic presidential candidate Jay Inslee's climate director, and he co-founded the policy group Evergreen Action. He and Catherine carried that sense of hope into the start of last week. But then Sam saw a shift in tone as the negotiations persisted. The momentum stopped, and hope turned to concern. By Thursday, I was downright... I'd become, unfortunately, downright skeptical. And I, this is the th- three, four-week sprint when we all thought this something had to occur. I kept, I kept myself being hopeful, but the, then the comments and the, sort of the abrupt nature of this all dropping Thursday, was it was somewhat shocking. And that led to, a, my gosh, this is, after all of this work, after all of this effort by all sides, how, how can this really be the end? And that has, over the weekend, morphed into what the heck to do next. This is The Carbon Copy. I'm Stephen Lacey. A Democrat, Joe Manchin, has nearly killed his party's chance of doing something big on climate. The window of opportunity for legislation is nearly closed, and it could bring a painful end to Biden's stalled agenda. What options are left? Faced with a surge of distributed energy resources, electric cars, and grid constraints, utilities are ramping up dynamic pricing. But the results are mixed. If utilities don't implement rates correctly or transparently, it could be a major roadblock for the energy transition and a headache for customers. On June 13th, Latitude Media and GridX will host a frontier forum to examine the imperative of good rate design and the consequences of getting it wrong. Register at the link in the show notes or go to latitudemedia.com events. So Catherine, I have to be blunt. You were on this show earlier in the year, and we talked about how Biden's signature legislative package, Build Back Better, fell apart. And it fell apart because West Virginia Democratic Senator Joe Manchin, who we're talking about, the key vote said he wouldn't support it. And you said it's totally possible to get some kind of major climate package done by March. Here we are in July. Manchin has said once again that he's probably not going to support the the current climate package. How did we get to where we are now? Yeah, so I was actually hoping it would pass last year. Um, July of 2021, Senators Manchin and Schumer signed an agreement where Manchin said, here are all the things I'm willing to put, $1.5 trillion worth of things into this Build Back Better package. Chuck Schumer signed off on it. And at that point, we were off and running. And we thought, yay, we've got the parameters that we need to get this thing over the finish line. Unfortunately, um, the Democratic Party and the White House decided that they really wanted to get a lot more in it. And they kind of ignored what Manchin had put in his uh, term sheet. And in December, everything fell apart because it became quite clear to Manchin that the White House was trying to get him to accept things that he would not accept. And everything fell apart, as as you know. And so all of the staff were told, stop, cease and desist, we're not doing anything else. Now, it took a couple months for things to get going again. But once they did, all the staff got very much reengaged. And Manchin was 
very, very engaged. I mean, writing policy. And his attitude in meetings was totally different. His attitude last year was very much about, oh, they're trying to shove this down my throat. I have no say. I don't really want this bill to happen. In the last few weeks, it had completely shifted where he was very, very engaged and motivated. We got to get this thing over the finish line. This will help inflation. This will help people in West Virginia. This will help on prices. You know, all of those signals were there. And I think that's probably why Sam and I had been so hopeful that this would go over the finish line, especially because from the staff level and from the language piece, like all of these things are in place now. Everything is ready to go. It won't take very long once an agreement is checked off on and signed off on to get this through the parliamentarian process and onto the Senate floor. Sam, were you getting the same reads from Manchin in the weeks before this surprise? Yes, I thought this was a package that was gonna that was gonna be able to quickly reach the Senate floor, pass the Senate, and, and move on and pass the House and get to the president's desk. And in, in part because, in addition to being a major investment in clean, climate and clean energy that that the, the leaders across the party have been fighting for for a couple of years now, it was going to be anti. It, it is a package designed to be anti-inflationary and to confront the energy costs and energy insecurity increasingly facing the American people. Um, and, you know, spurred on throughout the course of the year by this Russia war in Ukraine, by rising gas prices, by inflation that's hit a range of issues throughout the throughout the economy, but is really primarily driven by the cost of energy, the cost of fossil fuels, in particular gasoline, but also uh, home heating and electricity. This was a pa- this is a package designed to confront those costs, to create good jobs, to advance environmental justice, and, and obviously, yes, to drive down carbon pollution. It it, it really can be, should be, um, could have been the package that um, that that can meet all of those goals. I, you know, I, I'll just say the the suite of investments. You know, the the Build Back Better Act saw its time in the sun last year, and, and then and then died at the end of last year, but. To Catherine's point, throughout the course of 2022, the the investments, the underlying climate clean energy investments that were part of that conversation, just hold merit on their own, and they were they were constantly being iterated on. There's a suite of clean energy tax incentives to drive down the cost of and deploy more technologies and renewables and other technologies in the power sector. A, a suite of targeted tax and credits to both decarbonize and advance American competitiveness in clean energy manufacturing some tax incentives around building electrification and, and energy efficiency, uh, tax incentives for helping people get access to uh, electric cars that can finally end our uh, addiction, dependence to, to gasoline to power all of our automob- automobiles. There was all these investments through the Energy Committee that Matt Manchin chairs. There are other key investments through the Environment and Public Works Committee chaired by uh, to Senator Tom Carper, all designed to both drive down pollution, to create good jobs, building this new economy, and to, and to reduce energy prices. And that that mix, that mix of ingredients has been there. And that's why I think some of us have remained so hopeful in seeing that over the finish line in 2022. Uh, and that's why that's why that made last week both abrupt, shocking, and and, and heartbreaking. Sam, how does that cognitive dissonance feel for you? I mean, so many people are trying to trust the process and, uh, you know, everybody feels burned right now. And so, you know, you have to hold out some hope that what Manchin said, which is, uh, you know, I wouldn't have put myself through this if I didn't want to improve the country and move this stuff forward, but I'm waiting for inflation figures to come out. Uh, but all the same, uh, Manchin has has delayed, 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 and has not expressed the urgency that we need. So how do you hold that cognitive dissonance in perhaps keeping a shred of hope that something will get done, but also recognizing um, 
you know, how difficult Manchin has been on this. Yeah, I mean, it, it's, this has been a really difficult couple of years, right? This is, and, and for so many people involved in, in fighting for, advocating for, uh, for congressional staff who've spent more than a lifetime negotiating these pieces, um, this has been a long slog, and it, it is heartbreaking to see it um, end this way or potentially end this way. I, I will say a couple different things. One, there's still time left on the legislative calendar, right? The, the budget reconciliation resolution doesn't expire until September 30th. Um, there isn't going to be an election that changes anyone's hands in terms of who sits in the House or who sits in the Senate until November, and those changeovers don't happen until January. Ergo, there's time on the— there's physical time on the legislative calendar for something to to come together and to get done. I and and I like and I know there are people of goodwill inside the Senate, uh, certainly inside the House as well, who who want to try and keep working it and to try to get it done. That I wish them well. I, I think I think they should, and I'm proud to, that we can point to senators who are, who are who are going to try to be doing that. I I think it is highly incumbent here on Senator Manchin to, if he believes what he said on West Virginia Radio late last week, to be the one to really come forward and say, let's do something. And we're going to need a deeper commitment. It didn't quite pass the smell test to have him say he needs to wait for the next round of inflation numbers, because that's what he said before. And and anyways, why does it matter? This is an anti-inflationary bill, right? So it really is going to be incumbent on him. If it means what he says, then to, to be the one to put that forward. In the meantime, and 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 certainly passing a, a bill with these investments in this Congress is vastly preferable to not. So I, I want to invite that opportunity, that possibility, however remote, that it can still occur this year. At the same time, it's time to get on with the show with some of the rest of the actions. There are clearly things the administration uh, has been intending to do that they need to get a move on with. Uh, using their existing authorities to confront climate pollution, to confront Americans' energy costs, to confront pollution that's harming public health and environmental justice, uh, and uh, and uh, reducing energy costs and building this new energy future for Americans. And and that action needs to get started yesterday. It needed to have gotten started longer ago than that. But there are crucial executive actions that I hope we see the president begin to start moving on this week to confront pollution from power plants, from industrial facilities, to stop permitting or new or leasing new fossil fuel infrastructure. And if last week brings us anything, it's the need to get moving on all those other balls urgently. Mark your calendars for June 13th at noon Eastern. That's when Latitude Media and GridX will host a live interactive discussion on implementing modern utility rates. Dynamic rates are vital for motivating customers to electrify, adopt DERs, and embrace demand flexibility. Utility rates could make or break the energy transition. So how do we do it right? Join Latitude Media's Stephen Lacey, GridX CCO Scott Ingstrom, and economist Ahmad Faruqi for an in-depth discussion on the future of rates on June 13th. Register for free by clicking the link in the show notes or go to latitudemedia.com slash events. You touched on one of the many deep sources of frustration here, and that is that the administration has held back on some executive authority agenda items for the last 18 months, two years, waiting for this signature climate package to get passed. And we've delayed, we've delayed, we've delayed, we've had negotiations that have gone nowhere. And so here we are at this pivotal moment where these executive actions are absolutely necessary. Uh, on Friday, there were reports that environmental groups met with White House officials, and they talked through what comes next. Uh, one person in the press said that the call was not very inspiring. So 
What does the president need to do to reinvigorate his climate agenda to the degree that executive action is inspiring? Um, let's talk through some of those specific items that the president can start working on today to try to get us closer to what he set out when he first entered the White House. Sam, why don't you start with a couple of the most important things that we can do right now? And then, Catherine, I want to get your take. Yes, certainly. Well, I think a really critical one that is going to be sort of the next shoot a drop, and it was waiting on a couple of things. It was waiting for some of the um, legislative agenda to play. I was also waiting on the Supreme Court with the recent West Virginia EPA decision, which um, certainly curtailed the EPA's authority in certain respects, but also left them plenty of running room to finalize standards for carbon pollution from both new and existing power plants. And those standards have got to be promulgated very quickly by the, by the Environmental Protection Agency under the Clean Air Act. New source performance standards for new plants and existing source performance standards for, for existing power plants, I think really critical to get moving on those, in particular that new source standard to prevent the build-out of new fossil fuel power plants that are going to contribute major new sources of carbon pollution. The administration has indicated they are going to be advancing those rules. In the most recent unified agenda published by the White House Office of Management Budget, they indicated those may not be coming until next spring. I think that is too long to wait. Those rules have to come faster than that. Again, in particular, the new source performance standard. That's that's one that's one item. A second item that I'd point to urgently here, and it's the clock has just begun it on it with public comment, is Interior's new five-year offshore leasing plan, setting out a number of different options the administration can go down. President Biden is committed to no new offshore oil and gas leasing, and that that should be now what occurs. Once this legislative episode closed one way or the other, um, eager now to see that, that, that agenda advance swiftly and aggressively. Catherine, Senator Sheldon Whitehouse tweeted shortly after we heard the news about Manchin's decision that uh, with legislative climate options now closed, it's now time for executive beast mode. <laughs> executive beast mode, what, is, what does that mean to you? So the first thing that the executive beast has to do is hire more people faster. They have been awful about getting people on board. All of these agencies that have to take on these huge tasks already are do not have enough people for just to implement the infrastructure bill. I mean, we need many, many more people. And this is one way people, younger people can get engaged too. All these people graduating from college apply for jobs in the government and then government hire them. It's taking forever. They also haven't had enough people nominated for leadership positions. So there's a, there's a big leadership gap too in a lot of these agencies. And I feel like if you can get some of those, some of those people on board, if you can get um, all of your your troops lined up, you can get a lot more work done and do a lot of the things that Sam mentioned. So let's step out of this legislative play-by-play and talk about the consequences here. If this doesn't happen, and even if we lean into executive authority, how badly are we falling short of President Biden's greenhouse gas reduction goals? Uh, he said he wanted to see a 50% reduction in greenhouse gases by 2030. That was already wildly ambitious, but doable. And now we are slipping further and further away from that viability. Where does this put us? Yeah, I I think a couple different things. Number one, um, last week, the Rhodium Group published some analysis identifying the trajectory of emissions that they see um, current law, current policy, current investment economic trends delivering by 2030. And it's, it's 
It's not a picture that gets us close to President Biden's targets uh, or, or rather the scientific necessity of, let's say, cutting uh, climate pollution in half by 2030. I think it's, it, I think the Rhodium Group, I can't remember the number precisely, but I think the Rhodium Group positives would be somewhere in the, in the 20% range or 25% range in reduction. So perhaps half uh, of, what, we, of the, what, what needs to be accomplished based on 2005 levels. I think a second thing that's important to keep in mind is all along we've known we were going to need robust action, both this investment package, you know, major investments from the federal government and matched by leveraging greater private sector investment and also ambitious executive action from the federal executive branch and also further leadership from state and local actors and from corporate entities. If we're actually going to hit that 50% target, it wasn't going to be any one silver bullet. It was going to be a number of actions all taking place. And I think that's that's an important thing to keep in mind. But the third, sort of finally, um, the investment package is, is really, really critical. It's it does the the bulk of this lifting or contains just an absolutely critical contribution towards this 2030 target. And so I sort of joined Catherine here in, in talking about that, that. That's why this has remained such a focus for lawmakers in D.C., for the administration and for Congress both. And getting this investment package over the finish line is how central it is in driving investments into building the technologies, deploying the technologies, employing the people, driving American competitiveness and leadership in these technological areas and, in, and building the clean energy economy. What happens if this legislative package is truly doomed? What does that do to U.S. standing on the world stage as we head into next year's global climate talks? Uh, Joe Biden came into office riding high on his climate pledges. He held a major remote summit at the White House where he unveiled that 50% reduction pledge. There was so much excitement. He said, we're back in the game, and it doesn't feel like America is back in the game. Even though there's a lot happening behind the scenes, that it's not always seen that way on the world stage. So what does this do to America's standing in global climate talks if we are truly looking at a, another collapsed package. And I remember Joe Manchin went to Davos and talked about how important this was. So I do think it erodes uh, the trust from the world, which is all, was already a big lift for Biden because of what happened during the Trump administration. So he was already having to climb back up the, push the rock back up the hill to say, hey, we really are doing something, we really are serious about it. But in the end... You know, the political will of our elected officials uh, is is not where it needs to be. And remember, it's not, it's not just Joe Manchin. It's 50 members of the U.S. Senate do not want to pass climate legislation, okay? That's half of our Senate, half of the people that are elected to run uh, our highest body legislatively do not want climate action. And that says a lot about where our country is right now. Catherine Hamilton is chair of 38 North Solutions. Thanks, Catherine. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. Sam Ricketts, senior fellow for energy environment at the Center for American Progress and co-founder of Evergreen Action. Thanks so much. Thank you both. Pleasure talking with you. 
The Carbon Copy is a co-production of Postscript Media and Canary Media. Our producers are Alexandria Herr and Cecily Mesa-Martinez. Sean Marquand is our engineer. Original music came from Sean Marquand, from Echo Finch, and from Blue Dot Sessions. Postscript Media is supported by Prelude Ventures. Prelude is a venture capital firm that partners with entrepreneurs to address climate across a range of sectors, including advanced energy, food and agriculture, transportation and logistics, advanced materials and manufacturing, and advanced computing, and now media. Give us a rating and review on Apple or Spotify and send us your thoughts on social media. If you've got a friend or colleague who would like this show, send them a link too. I'm Stephen Lacey. This is The Carbon Copy. Mm -hmm.